0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Loving This podcast. I have a special guest on today, Hillary McBride, who you might know from the Liturgist podcast. She's a co host with me on that podcast. And I was so excited to have her into the back house and chat with her a bit about spirituality before she had to get on a flight. Um, before we get into it, I just want to let everybody know I'm still doing the awakening sessions. and. I know how fucking weird that is, and I know to a lot of people I sound like an arrogant crank by saying that I am going to have you pay me money and you can come and be enlightened. (laughs) And uh, that's not quite what I'm saying, actually. But I also don't know how to do it without money being involved for a number of reasons. That being said, though, I've never wanted to make this a money-centric thing. And if you are a person who's interested in these sessions but can't afford them, please email me at Michael Awakening Sessions.com and tell me why you want to do it. And I've I have a reserved amount of pro bono slots. I would love to do that for everybody. Just kind of take really specific people with really specific needs, um, but it's hard to do that for everybody. And part of the reason that it, the normal sessions cost is to weed out sort of the people that would just be like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna talk to Michael Gunga for a little bit, hang out, and just kind of see." It really, I'm looking for people who are earnest, earnestly seeking sight and awareness and clarity and uh, these sessions have been amazing they've been profound and beautiful and I'm not doing it to try to change careers I'm still a musician Uh, by trade I'm not trying to like be a spiritual teacher for my job but it does take time and energy and again I'm looking for people who are really earnest and sometimes paying money for something actually helps you value helps you value it, and it kind of does some of the weeding of uh, certain kinds of people who might be a little bit more predatory with your time. So awakeningsessions.com. If you think that's not for you, it's probably not. Just think of me as the the charlatan selling snake oil. <laughs> But if there's something about it that sounds intriguing to you, um, maybe it's for you. I've got plenty of shit to do. I'm not gonna I am not going i do not want to try to sell any of you on this. But if it's calling you, come on, let's talk. Alright. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. <sighs> Guys, Hillary McBride uh, is here.
1: What a pleasure to what be here with you, Michael joy. Gunger.
0: What <laughs> we just did. <laughs> a topless photo we shoot
1: we did a topless photo shoot <laughs> with Mike McCart.
0: with Mike it
1: <laughs> with Science Mike yeah it wasn't full yeah.
0: topless they used a little trickery you were still yeah. you still had a yeah a bra on but yes. it made it look like we were all topless yes I don't know what we're gonna use that for but it's it's gonna it's there now it exists, it exists. in ones and zeros yeah, yeah. okay okay if p- people I mean I'm sure people most people that are listening to this know who you are give us a quick, oh. just a quick who, who is hillary mcbride
1: Ooh. Ooh. what a question <laughs> you know i've actually i've been thinking about how i answer that question because the more interviews i do the more i get asked to describe what i do it's a bad question well it it, it makes me think about how i communicate what my experience of myself is like mm-hmm. i think it would be easy to say and i previously have said i'm a therapist researcher i speak i write mm-hmm. that kind of thing but It makes me think about if that feels like my primary identity for myself, like in that order as a therapist, like I am a therapist, Mm -hmm. or if uh, that's a useful shorthand when I'm introducing myself on a podcast. But if maybe for the sake of this Mm -hmm. podcast, I'll say um, I feel like I'm someone who delights in in life and the existence of being alive. That's who I I am.
0: I can (laughs) vouch for that. You're one of my favorite people on <sighs> earth, Hillary. It's oh. true. It's not. It's very true. And you're the most embodied Michael. person that I know. I'm pretty sure. I'm like just looking she, into your eyes. I'm just. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, Mr. it's just so true. You're just oh. full of light and joy. and mm. Thank um, you. Yeah. And mm. you've changed. Hillary McBride has changed. Oh. <sighs> All of the closest people in my lives, 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 oh. lives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true. Like Lisa, and Mike, and myself, William, hmm. all the and all the people that listen to the podcast. Like you've hmm. you've brought such a a needed and beautiful energy to so much of our lives. So I I'm so happy that you're on here because I wanted to. There's a couple issues that I'd love to hear from you on as it relates oh. to like kind of how the, the spiritual uh, thrust of this podcast yeah. if you will. Um
1: Oh, I can't wait to hear what you're going to ask. Mm. I'm curious. Okay. I'm
0: taking a sip of Toca oh. for dramatic suspense. Yes. Uh, One of them is how feminism and the feminine... How goddess, how mother, how mm. uh you and my wife do a what do you a, a retreat? Retreat. Yeah. Women's called retreats. Sacred yeah. feminine. And um the the feminine aspect of spirituality and and how patriarchy has made so much of the spiritual path in the West a really certain kind of way. I think about, mm. uh, even the whole idea of transcendence and spirituality mm. and of, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously father God and, and getting rid of most of the only female imagery in the Christian world that I've encountered gets allocated to Mary, which is great, mm. but it's still people are like, but Mary's not God. Right. Um, so, I'm just curious to see. I would love to hear some of your thoughts on feminism and how it relates to spirituality and to spiritual growth and to growth, as a, hmm. I guess, kind of a weighted term, but where we're at as a culture. What does feminism and, um, what does it have to do with spirituality mm. and, what, and, mm-hmm. and how are the two interrelated?
1: hmm.
0: Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. It's <laughs> a big question. I know i was like, <laughs> <laughs> You just I started. Just a little, life, yeah, i was just enjoying it. That's this. an area that I wanted okay, to talk Okay, an area. About.
1: Okay, okay. Okay. Okay, uh, some thoughts as I'm listening to you talk are that feminism and feminine are different. And so I might I might distinguish those terms mm-hmm. from each other. So, mm-hmm. uh, feminism for me or kind of as I experience it or understand it is the critique of androcentrism and mm-hmm. the primacy and superiority of the male perspective of maybe even masculine ways of being mm-hmm. um, and and the submission in hierarchies of power of people um, women anyone who isn't a particular a particular embodiment of life gets somehow. Devalued to the bottom of the hierarchy and so the the feminist critique of life and social structures is to say uh, we miss out um, not only do people at the top of the hierarchy miss out, but everybody misses out when there are these these yeah hierarchies of who gets who's more valuable, who has more power, what one way of being is, but I think that um, whether it's a conflation or whether it's accurate, I think that often the feminist movement has been associated with using masculine forms of power to uh, to create more access for women to roles of power that men have previously hold, held. So I've, one critique that I've heard is that feminism has tried to get women um, into men's spheres mm-hmm. instead of adding something that was missing to patriarchy or shifting the power balance. Mm think of feminine and masculine as these constructions that are really helpful shorthands for like ways of being in the yeah, world sure. but that don't necessarily go with sex although yeah. that's the problem right mm-hmm. is that women have been told if you're born with certain genitalia you should behave this way yeah.
0: Should be feminine.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah so when i think about spirituality i think about how uh, how this all relates to spirituality is that There has been this way of experiencing or perceiving spirituality that caters to one way of understanding or moving through life that has been most accessible or most understood by men, particularly wealthy men, men in positions of power. And you brought up the idea of transcendence earlier. Mm -hmm. And transcendence uh, in contrast with imminence, Mm -hmm. which I can talk about in a second. Transcendence is this idea that we can... The way that we get to God is to leave what's happening now mm-hmm. to get away from this, to get away from life, to get away from the sweat and the blood and the pain and the tears and the rhythms mm-hmm. to some higher reality that is somehow not here. Yeah, And that has been really useful for historically for men uh, who were wealthy and in positions of power and privilege because they could leave their homes and go to monasteries, go to mm. universities, go uh, philosophize, and leave the yeah. daily rhythms. Yeah, yeah. And that was seen as being the best and most important way to get to They're God.
0: Ascending into the heavens. Exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. And when you think about words like the ivory tower, Yeah. like right, literally climbing this these rungs of existence to get away from what's on the ground. Mm-hmm the demands and the, the pain of life. Mm. And uh, the the and
0: heavenly father is up in heaven.
1: That's right. Wow. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Certainly not here. Certainly not in, in the rhythms of life and in our bodies. Yeah. Um, so to contrast that divine imminence would be to say that God is actually here. God is this mm-hmm. uh, right now. And that we learn about the mystery, the great mystery by by paying attention to what's happening right now. yeah. So you don't have to leave your house to go to a monastery to meditate for 10 days in silence. You can look into the eyes of your kid who's crying. You can um, bake a birthday cake. You can uh, clean out the car and spend some time with friends and eat a good meal. And that's where God
0: is. Hmm. Well, shit, Hillary. <laughs> We got a podcast going now. This oh. is a good one. Okay, here we are. That's a lovely. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Okay, I, that's what I've. I've. I'm super into like mother energy mm. right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. we, we were just at the Wild Goose. Oh yes, and you and Isa and uh, Jamie, which are three of the very powerful women and very spiritual women. Uh, I was sitting at a table with them and I was just like looking around and like wow there's a lot of powerful mama energy here right now I don't mean literally like only Lisa's the only mother but like that Mm. I don't know I I don't know there's an energy that when a bunch of spiritual I've I've been around a lot of dudes in spiritual Mm. places and really Mm -hmm. spiritual dudes and it's beautiful but there's something just I'm not, I won't say about women but you three women hmm. there was just this palpable um, spiritual energy hmm. and you I was like I, wow said it and you guys <laughs>
1: and we, we, we made a circle we around made a circle you around me. and I gazed with you <laughs> uh, we were all crying I, yeah <laughs> it's beautiful
0: it was powerful okay
1: I have a hypothesis okay uh I wonder if there's something in us, in a spiritual quest, that draws us towards balance. Yeah. Like when you've, when you specifically have spent a lot of time around this like masculine Mm -hmm. spirituality or the portrayal of spirituality within this masculine framework, if if when you're listening and paying attention, if there's some part of us that calls us Mm -hmm. to the thing that's been missing. Yeah. So uh, there's the work of a woman I'm, I'm, really, I'm really into right now. Her name's Carol Leaflanders. She wrote a book called uh, At the Root of This Longing, and she looks at these four tensions with, between feminism and spirituality, and, and not just a Christian spirituality, but lots of the, the spiritual disciplines around the world, Hinduism, mm-hmm. Buddhism, uh, Judaism, Christianity, et cetera, and has seen these four areas of tension. And one of them was between silence and voice, So the idea that in certain spiritual traditions, the idea to develop your spiritual practice is to be quiet, to shut up, to listen. Mm -hmm. And feminism is saying, wait a second, like that's been done to us. We've been told to be silent. So we need to find our voice. Wow. The second tension um, is cloistered or restricted space wow. versus taking up space. So in certain spiritual traditions, people will go into monasteries, go into enclosed spaces. Yeah, an a act- church building, Right, pews. right. Yeah. Or even when we look even more pointedly than that, uh, some mystics would go into rooms and mm. live in specific rooms oh. for their years yeah. and wouldn't leave the
0: rooms. Or a cave. A cave, yeah. there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: exactly. And feminism is saying, no, 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 take up space. Like mm. you've been told... You're not allowed to go to certain spaces, yeah. go into the spaces be free mm. uh, the second one is or the third one is self- nodding or uh, like denial of self whereas feminism is saying actually know who you are mm. it's okay to it's okay to put yourself on the on the to-do list yeah right when in patriarchal cultures women have been told like your needs don't matter, serve everybody else that feminism in balance is saying, no you're allowed to matter. You can listen to your needs, hmm. and then lastly, the denial of desire. so in lots of spiritual traditions, you know don't eat too much don't have sex don't don't uh, do whatever your impulse is. restrain and when that's been done to you and you 've been told your body is bad, your sexuality is bad, yeah. then the balance is to say no my my body is good, my spirituality." can show up in my body. I don't have to hate or deny my body. Yeah. So when we see these four tensions between each other, uh, we can feel a pull sometimes because I don't think that like as a feminist, it just means I just talk whenever I want. And all the time, like there is a place for silence. There is a place for yeah. saying my needs take a back seat right now hmm. for saying, okay, just because I want something, I shouldn't have it. And it's okay to find interior spaces or even physical spaces where I feel cocooned and can do some deep inner work. But Carol Lee Flinders makes this point that those four aspects of spiritual discipline would have been contradictory or contrary to masculine power and privilege. If you can go in any space, then being told no stay in this small space is actually how you grow spiritually because you're doing the Mm. opposite thing of what you've been told you're allowed to. So there's a power and ego conflict that would cause like cause you to grow in the same way. If you can say whatever you want to say and people will listen to be told to be silent is actually creating balance mm. in energy for you. Yeah, totally. So all of those four things, um self nodding, enclosure, uh, denial of desires and of the body, uh, and silence would make sense in an from an androcentric perspective like men if men are the spiritual head of households as it was a long time ago then them being asked to do that and that construction of spirituality would bring about a lot of balance in the world. Yeah. But for you, right? If you have been in this kind of right masculine portrayal of spirituality, then doing the opposite would be the thing that brings about balance seeking these feminine ways of being Mm. so i'm just thinking about how spirituality big picture when we are asked to grow when we grow it's because we're doing a thing that feels different than our normal way of being Mm -hmm. and it's giving us access to range
0: yep so good there's this book that i've been uh, i'm just about to finish called the spectrum of consciousness by ken wilber and I'd love to tell you... It might take a second here to summarize it, but I I would like to because I would like to hear your thoughts on it because it does get into therapy stuff. Let's hear it. Um, This this thesis for the book is basically that he he lays out these divisions in the self that happen um, starting at existential, which is basically an observer, a body considers itself feels itself to be separate from its environment that the observer cuts itself off from the observed in a way of experiencing and as an existential sort of split um
1: for example you and i are not the same is that okay
0: or but even before you would start saying you and i i mean i think even animals Mm. could be at that place maybe you could even say he, he didn't say this but i wonder if even if plants have an element of some sort of sense of uh, a difference, a differentiation between yeah. itself and the environment. Interesting. In ways that obviously that doesn't turn into a thought. But that this is not at thought yet. This is okay. an existential split okay. at first. And then the second split would be um, ego. Hmm. So that within the body, there's develops a sense of, of self and not self even within the body so that and this this gets conditioned through what he calls the biosocial sphere or layer that that gives us meaning that gives us language um that gives us thought and so at this at this stage we start thinking about my hand and mm. my heart and my body and my and there's a there's a me that's other than my body
1: yes yeah
0: um so, so self that's the is second Id- split.
1: Self is identified as cognitive activity. Yeah. Like the, okay.
0: Um, or as a, as a, I guess that could be defined in a number of ways, but it's it's a thought that splits the body from mm-hmm. itself in right. some way. It could be cognitive activity. It could be, but philosophically, I think you could term that however you want. Maybe okay. some people are like, it's not cognitive activity. It's a soul in here, or it's a, Got whatever it. it is. It's a another me. Okay. And there's a part of me that's not really me.
1: Okay, got it, yeah.
0: Because if I cut off my legs, I'm not partially gone. Right. I'm still here. The right. me's, the real me is still here. Mm-hmm. So then after that, it splits one more time to shadows. And so even within the ego sense of I, now there's certain behaviors, certain attitudes, certain feelings that I judge as not me and not even judge what you in each of these you either repress or project um, so the self basically cuts off part of itself and says that other side is not me and so it either projects that onto its environment or it represses it within itself so a shadow would be um, somebody that is, has no idea that they're actually an angry person that they have a mm. lot of anger there but Everybody out there is super angry at me.
1: So, like, these are projections or defenses? That projections or, or defenses or, yeah. or repressions. Yeah. Or whatever. Okay.
0: Just, it's, they, they can all play out in different ways, but those okay. are kind of big meta ways that it splits. Okay. So, it's like, got it. Um, and he argues that each of those splits has different sorts of therapies that are really useful mm. to kind mm-hmm. of bring them together. Mm-hmm. So, at a place where if you're dealing in a shadow level, um, he advocates for like finding ways of turning the subjective shadows into objects. Mm. So, you know, that could be naming emotions that could be, um, recognizing your projections that could be recognizing your oppressions and seeing them and turning them rather than seeing from the repression and from the projection, you kind of find a way to be mindful of it mm. and then it turns into an object. Okay. And then, to what end, so that you to can what end it it reintegrates it okay into that so that the shadow and the ego become more healed. It becomes okay. that it doesn't become so split. Okay, um, from that point you can begin to heal, or maybe not just from that point, but there could be splits in all of these areas. But spiritual progress or spiritual, you know, practice or development or could, could be thought of in his, in this line of thinking as finding ways to heal the self mm. through all of this. So mm. even as then as the ego can begin to heal back into the body.
1: Okay. So is it work in a hierarchy where you heal the top level first and then the next, and then the bottom level, which is about existential.
0: He doesn't get too prescriptive about oh, okay. how to do it. Okay. Um, but just, he kind of lays out different therapies that are really effective oh, okay. for the different levels. Hmm. Um, but I'm just curious about what your thoughts about that are and, and how... Because I've heard... I know at different times for me thinking of myself as the body mm. has been helpful. And other times it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Because when you're talking about the existential split, um, then you're still separated. There's still a split. Yeah. Now I'm split from everything else. Yeah. But... If you're, de- it depends what level mm-hmm. you're talking about, you're dealing with. So saying, immanence, transcendence, um, some of that can also be where, where is the wound? Where, yeah. where, is, where are you integrating yes. and moving towards wholeness? Yeah, moving towards oneness. Um, sometimes saying precisely the opposite thing mm-hmm. <laughs> is yes. the helpful thing. Yeah.
1: Well, I think. What you're saying is actually something we could back up with what's happening kind of at the frontiers of neuroscience right now, that when that's kind of a broad term to say neuroscience, but the neuroscience of psychotherapy and change and transformation and what happens when when we start to decompensate in our behavior and our thinking. And the idea is that integration is everything
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like when thing it's when things that are supposed to be talking to each other neurochemically Mm. neurophysiologically when they stop talking to each other is when we start having problems when one part of our brain uh is overdeveloped and we're not accessing these other parts of our brains that's where these these fissures in existence happen Mm -hmm. so actually what we're trying to do in lots of therapies now is get at a very uh, anatomical level, get structures talking to each other again yeah. so that that we have access to everything instead of this restricted way of seeing the world or responding. But amazing. it's, um, I think what you are, what you're getting at is that therapy, or maybe this is not what you're getting at, but what I hear in what you're communicating about Wilbur's work is that when we heal, things need to come together mm-hmm. and that in order for things to come together we might need to access parts that get cut off as a way of knitting them yeah, back together
0: totally and and what gets cut off can look differently to like what's helpful yeah for some people like using opening your voice, going outside and screaming is not necessarily as helpful as other people.
1: (laughs) Right. So we, the way that I think about it psychotherapeutically is that there are a few different levels that we like to work at in therapy. There's cognitive, affective, and somatic. And if I'm, let's just say I'm a really cognitive-based therapist and I have a client who comes in and they're really cognitive, it might be really easy for us to hang out in cognition. Mm -hmm. But how is that person going to actually transform? Yeah. So, the, the key, I think, to be a really skillful therapist and maybe even a skillful patient or client is to recognize like what way of being is it most comfortable for me to hang out in and what am I missing because of that? And can I or can we in this work, therapeutic work, life work, go to the places that are uncomfortable for me to go to as a way of uh, building access and resources and then knitting everything back together again? Yeah so there's no i don't think there's a panacea in terms of therapeutic work to say you know e m d r works for everything, yeah, or primal screaming, right the, what you mm-hmm. were just talking about screaming or, or
0: non dual spirituality, sure right, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and and looking at the, I think that takes a skillful eye as a clinician to recognize how we as a clinician too get involved in assessing what's going on for clients and then providing treatment recommendations. Because if, like I was saying, if it's really easy for me to stay cognitive, if I I haven't done my own work, then I'm probably gonna provide cognitive interventions Mm. for people. Instead of going, oh, it's uncomfortable for me, but what you and I both need here is to have an affective experience or a somatic experience to shift the balance and to give you access to parts that you don't mm. have access to normally.
0: Mm. He does talk about how by the time, it, he calls the fundamental oneness of everything, mind, capital M. Cool, yeah. Um, and if you are in that place, and there's some exercises and stuff that he suggests to abide as mind in mind, and uh, in that place, the other divisions mm. are not active, Right, but I think there's in later books of his he talks about how there can still be these little shadows and constrictions that even Hmm. as you've had non-dual awareness there's parts of your body there's parts of your life experience that still might be stuck Mm -hmm. at these these other um, Mm -hmm. places of constriction and and unselfing oh okay um but there's this note that I just got sent today okay um Okay, so Anna says, the loving this podcast has been fun and intriguing, but there's something that keeps bugging me. And I was wondering, if, um, it's not that the arbitrary, sorry, it's not arbitrary that I feel like I at the end of my skin. I, this consciousness that is currently writing a post, am embedded in a nervous system. The nervous system ends mm-hmm. at my skin. Mm-hmm. It's true that this nervous system doesn't exist independently of the world. It's also true as far as I know that I I can't feel anything that doesn't impinge on my nervous system. For example, I feel a lot of empathy, but I can't actually feel what other people feel. I wish I could. It's frustrating to think that in order for suffering to end, a completely unintuitive way of looking at this nervous system needs to be magically become intuitive. Then I start blaming myself for not doing the work, like not meditating consistently, arguing about this, instead of meditating. I understand the precise opposite of the intention. I understand that's the precise opposite of the intention. Or what would help me um, I thought that was a really mm. interesting comment and good comment, and thank you anna for for that, but that that if you if you just take one level of the unification and try to apply it across the spectrum as far as um she says that she feels like she should be like. Not in that existential divide, mm. like she, she should be feeling oneness, should be doing things mm. like meditating rather than, and that is precisely, in my view, that is precisely the place of constriction mm. that maybe she could look at. Why does she feel like she needs to be right. experiencing anything other than what right. she's experiencing? Right. Um, and that's one problem in, that I've had with this work is when I, I know when I talk about. Letting go completely of my sense of Uh, self—that doesn't get to be applied universally, simply, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and helpfully. Uh, Amelie, right now, my kid is she's still developing a sense of self, and she needs to. Right, right. I'm not like she needs to have some sort of ego power Mm -hmm. in there. It's like I can do this, Mm -hmm. and it's my free will. Mm-hmm. And it's my strength that allows me to do this. Mm-hmm. But then at some, at some point of her life, maybe that frame needs to shift.
1: Well, isn't that like what you were saying earlier about spending time in this masculine perspective yeah. of spirituality and then going, oh, wait a second. i am It's been missing something like, oh, I need to spend a little bit of time doing this other thing to get more of the picture that I missed yes. when I only saw it this way. I just think of that as being what life is when we're developing is going oh that that was so good for this specific time and paying attention to the the inner longings that tell us I think I'm ready for something else cuz that's been missing something for me
0: yeah.
1: and allowing ourselves to be in in ways of being for a time and trusting that that all we although we can leave those uh, they gave us something and that the more Ways of being that we try throughout the lifespan, that we're working something out, that we're fleshing out our humanness, our Mm -hmm. existence. We're seeing more colors on the palette. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think about how how trying to rush through a certain way of being to get to another one uh, means that we miss the goodness of what is. There you go, and that there is. something beautiful in this
0: this is exactly what oneness wants to be doing right (laughs) yeah exactly wants to be doing but it's right it's what's happening
1: and then there will be a time when perhaps oneness is ready for something else yeah of course yeah yeah i don't i like to think about that like maybe even if we make it more tangible and less abstract Mm -hmm. how if i have a really dense meal i want something sweet after but I'm not trying to rush through the dense to get yeah. to the sweet. It's like, oh, this is so good. And then, and then my body is saying, and how about we end on a different note? Mm. And that there is this flow to life that takes us exactly where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and the work is to be okay with what is.
0: It really, there's a paradox That's... at the heart of it. It is like, by really being okay with what is, mm. it actually makes what is even more beautiful.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yes. Right? Like by being yeah. okay with the ugliness and the pain yeah.
0: and the struggle and the doubt. Of, yeah. That's actually the big exercise that Ken mm. offers at the end as far as moving from the existential split into mind as mind. Um, one of the exercises he suggests is rather than trying to, because, you know, when you hear about meditation and all these different practices, it's like there's no thought. And right. so what people end up trying to do is like shut down thought. Yeah. And by who's doing it like it's the ego fighting the ego again, it's just more split, mm-hmm. it's more like, mm-hmm. no, I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be expecting this." So he suggests we're getting into that space like when you if I said, "How are you feeling right now?" Mm-hmm. what is that that first second of like paying attention it's full attention, it's one hundred percent like it's the it's the looking it's the the scanning before you start putting words to it, before you start, it's just the looking itself. And so he's like, it's sort of like that, sort of like a, the, it's like, speak now, I'm listening, is the word phrase he mm. uses. That mindset of like, hey, mind, body, whatever, world, I'm listening intently, mm. 100%. Mm-hmm. And str- like the paradox is in, when you're fully attending to that listening, it's silent. Mm. The thoughts often start coming and springing up and spinning around and going crazy Mm. in the unconscious. It's when you're not fully listening Mm. and then all these other thoughts start popping in and the mind starts wandering here and there. But as Mm. you're fully listening, it all gets really still. Wow. And really silent and it's just what is.
1: What is, yeah. What's coming to mind is as you're saying that is how that's changed my social interactions like the more i've been slowing down to pay attention Mm. i've noticed this has happened over the last probably maybe year two years and more intensely even more recently if someone asks me a question i i haven't been prefabricating my answer to a question i thought was coming Mm -hmm. and so i have to say oh i didn't I wasn't expecting that. Can you give me a little bit to think about mm. it? Because I realized that like how often do we listen and we're not really listening we're listening to wait to talk yep. to another person and then they ask us something um, and we know what we're going to say because we haven't really been listening to them. We've yeah. been in our like constructing our own story and analysis about how we relate to what they're saying and what's, right, what's happening for us and it it means the pace of my conversations moves so much slower. Mm. Like I've had some people say or yeah I just that is to happen this weekend like well what's you know what would you what would you say to that and i had to say i i have no idea mm. cuz as you were talking i i wasn't thinking about anything besides yeah. what you were saying <laughs> yeah and i've realized like interestingly enough that has brought up some of the inner critic like oh that that might make it seem like i don't have my own thoughts or oh that might seem like mm. i have to wait other people have to wait for me and i've I've then chosen to let that go because it's just been so beautiful to take in what's happening. Yeah. But it changes the way we interact.
0: It does. Yeah. changes the whole way we are in the world. Yeah. And I find that. Yeah. The the paradox of like, you, you probably actually end up responding better. Right. (laughs) You know, it might take longer because you're actually involved in, Dialogue. You end up learning more. You probably end mm. up wiser in the long run for that. But I think of like uh, the embodiment thing, mm-hmm. and put some back back to some of the the feminine thing. Um, there's part of it that seems like by listening that you're moving into dualism or the, but by going into mother, you're going into, if you're trying to solve that, I just want to be one with everything. <laughs> and you're like, um, going into a dualistic frame or working on, you know, just therapeutic, emotional issues or whatever there can be, I think in the spiritual community, sometimes, uh, you get the prize that you're looking for and you you get a you have an idea of what you think you need to do to get there and by instead learning to be present with what is and what's calling in this moment and and just surrendering to that i found just surprising fruits of that for instance the embodiment thing has made me feel more transcendence than I've ever felt in my wow. life.
1: Wow! Oh, so the imminence has given you access to transcendence? It's, or it's
0: like I was looking for transcendence my whole life and then when I went into my body, oh. it's infinite. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh. by moving into the small, mm. there's the infinite space that I was mm. looking for the whole time. I was looking for the big oh. out there and it was inside the whole time.
1: Wow. amazing
0: has that happened in
1: other areas of your life too
0: like that paradoxical thing or the the yeah well we were talking earlier about even creativity like you'd think to make the most creative thing you'd you'd want to take all the limits off right but quite often it's precisely the opposite like you give yourself some limits I'm making Mm. a record right now I'm trying to give myself some limits to be able to start somewhere. They're without mm. boundaries. Uh, so by putting boundaries, you can actually be more free sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that kind of thing can be found in a lot of places. That I think that that's kind of maybe what Jesus was talking about. It's like, even the, when you, you, know, you wanna live, you gotta die. Mm. Sort of thing, unless a seed mm-hmm. falls to the ground and dies. There's a paradox in all of it that when yeah. you're, when you just surrender to what is, um, it doesn't actually like you'd think that would make you a person by surrendering to what it is. You kind of have that. A lot of us have that caseira, mm-hmm. apathy. Mm-hmm. Oh well, the world's shitty. But that I don't think that's actual surrender. Mm. Yeah. What?
1: It Just made me think of this uh, this quote I have in my dissertation from a phenomenologist named Max van Menen. And he says that phenomenological research as a discipline is surrendering to a state of wonder. Mm. that the surrender, the when I, I hear those words together, I think about surrender as actually uh, as kind of being this like letting down, but wonder is being this opening up, this mm. broadening, to paying attention and seeing like what is life and surrendering to this state of wonder. Uh, being, again, that kind of tension between letting go and opening your arms up and taking pleasure and joy in just what is.
0: Yeah. But what, is, what, I, yeah. what I found is when I surrender to what is, it includes mm-hmm. my own reaction to what right. is. Right. So it's my own natural empathetic reaction or compassionate or angry or yeah. horny or whatever the yeah. natural reaction by not fighting it and by thinking it should be something other than it is. I found that it tends to make the reaction and and my experience of the world more like I was seeking when I was trying to control it but couldn't get it. I couldn't force myself to have the love and the peace mm. and the joy and the patience and all that stuff. I, when I really, come on, Michael, be loving. Right. <laughs> be patient. Right. You can't be, don't be angry. Don't be whatever. Mm. Um, but by finding those places that we've alienated... By finding the the places beyond the pale, beyond the edges that we have considered to be acceptable um, of any split of the self, like that part, nope, that's not me. I'm hmm. the good guy in here. Hmm. Um, I, even even the sorry, go ahead. No, you. There, there is. I thought of one specific way that that happened recently. Was I've had a story. In my head for a long time, that the world sort of hates me, mm. and in reading this book, uh, wondered if there was a part if there was a part of me that hates the world that I didn't want to pay attention to mm. and Ken talks about that quite specifically that like when there's when there's an emotional center to something. Watch out for that repression, is it being repressed or projected? Which one is it? Mm. and if it 's being projected, it could be very the very opposite thing is true. Mm-hmm. so I think the world hates me maybe maybe I have an unclaimed hatred of the world mm. that if I claim it and if I notice it that there's part, that I do hate some of how this is that actually allow then that hatred it 's not actually the if I pay attention to it it 's not actually the primary emotion. Mm. I actually primarily really enjoy and love how Mm. this all is. But having a little bit of it in there and keeping it not projected, not repressed, allows me to turn that hatred into laughs and a little bit of snarkiness sometimes, a little bit of whatever, desire to keep doing podcasts. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Because the world... It's fucked up. Yeah. Um, but if I, if I embrace that, it actually enriches the whole experience and it makes me love it all more. Right. In a
1: weird way. Yeah. That reminds me of something we say in therapy: name it to tame it. Mm-hmm. And if you're overcome with anger, you'd think that moving towards it by saying "I'm angry" yeah. would actually draw you into it in a in a way that would make it. Accelerate, expand. And actually, what we see is that when you name what's going on for you, it allows your body to go, oh, Mm
0: -hmm. good, and
1: to let it go. And what's happening on a very anatomical level is that the parts of your brain that are feeling and the parts of your brain that can then think and put language get integrated. Mm -hmm. It's the integration that allows the intensity to settle down. So, as you're talking, I'm thinking about all those pieces, like the moving towards something, but in a way that uh, is is approaching it from a different angle, putting language on something than when we were feeling it causes these things to go move together. And when they move together, then some balance is restored, mm-hmm. even on a physiological level. I, that's just what comes to mind yeah. for me as you're talking. That's really yeah. powerful. Mm-hmm. I like... I guess as I'm sitting here, I'm noticing how much my mind is drawn to finding the practical or tangible applications of these things. And that's right. Like, and maybe that's even like, maybe that's oneness or balance happening here. Mm -hmm. Like as we're taking these things that are maybe seem abstract Mm -hmm. and putting skill or flesh or something on them in the (sighs) conversation. Yeah. And that's what,
0: when I hear Anna's note, that email, that's what I want to, tell her is like what whatever that should be like that's get rid of that what are mm. you if that's something that it's if, it, if it's an extra burden to try to be one with everything right yeah uh yeah that that's probably the, the most constricted place that's keeping you from mm-hmm. feeling one with everything
1: mm-hmm. yeah what would it and so be just like? what's the most
0: practical place right to like say yes to
1: yeah I think I would want to say to Anna too what what is it like for you to acknowledge that you want to be one and that you're finding it hard to do so? And yeah. what is it like to just hold those both and be okay with those those thrusts, those longings, those tensions and move about your life knowing that they're there with you as in like in a kind of an acceptance of the disappointment or the frustration. Yeah. Like bringing it with you. You can you can Brush your teeth and go, oh wow, I'm feel so so frustrated right now, or this feels hard, or there's a should mm-hmm. and and a longing. And isn't it all beautiful that it's all there? Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, your friendship has brought much openness to my spirituality and oh, to my, it's just helped me like especially the emotional stuff and the embodiment stuff. And it's I have been so trapped so much of my mm. life in the cave, and in the oh. towers, and in the um, yeah. seeking transcendence, mm-hmm. and uh, just even things you say, but also just the way that you are. Mm. Um, Hillary and I have these things we do together <gasps> called original moments, maybe I shouldn't <laughs> tell them publicly.
1: <laughs> you can share the construct no one could ever recapture (laughs) they're so original we couldn't even
0: we just say original moment one of us says it and then just weird shit starts to happen yeah we just do
1: something weird (laughs) but they're just so
0: embodied and um um, i don't know yeah your work um, has has, it's like (sighs) i don't really know how to put words to it other than It's helped me move as a person who spends all of my time, like almost all all day, my thing is spiritual. I'm constantly like in a, meditating yes. or I, I used to have hourly chimes on my phone ma- reminding me or what what state of mind are you in right so I, and has sought so much like spiritual bliss, transcendence out wow, there, big, and to mm. move into the smallest. Parts of my body and my emotions and um, the imminence of mm. every day has brought a scope and a breadth and a depth to my spirituality that I never would have imagined. Wow. Um, and you've been a big part uh, of that for me, so thank
1: you. I'm just so touched hearing you say that. And I wanted to take that in instead of start thinking about all the things <laughs> I wanted to say <laughs> back. So, I'm thank you. thank you. That's so kind of you. It feels to me like one of the greatest gifts to know that I could connect with someone that I care about that they would that they would treasure me in the way that I treasure them mm. uh that feels like such a like such a bliss mm-hmm. to encounter someone and feel this synchronicity and to know that I have meaning in their life and I think getting to know you has been such a such an amazing ride and I think one of the things I don't think I've shared this with you but one of the things I so admire about you is this diligence in your pursuit of the things that matter for you like what i've seen you do is if something matters you take it seriously and you you seek it out and you you do it seems at least from my perspective like you do the very best that you can to live in agreement with the things that are of value to you Mm. and that feels so inspiring and compelling and like it is uh it's a, a an adventure to see where that commitment is and where that the insight is that you have, but the consistency in your pursuit of doing and living the things that matter to you is so is breathtaking. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well shucks, um, Hillary. Oh.
1: <laughs> let's just talk about how you much we love you. Oh, let's talk about <laughs> no, how much no, we love you.
0: That moves me. I, yeah. love, I don't want to brush that off oh, with a silly no, joke. Thank no. you for saying that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really amazing watching how you live all of this out and having, in some way, a front seat to all of these ideas that people hear in a podcast is such a joy. I have, oh, yeah. I just, want, I just want to watch uh, this sounds bizarre because I also like interacting with you but I'd love to just watch how your life continues to unfold it feels <laughs> like it would be one of my greatest joys to just observe and delight in how you do your experience of life it is
0: I hope we live closer yeah, to,
1: I know to the same uh, physical location I'm working on someday. it we're planting seeds
0: yeah thank you for yeah. being on the Loving This podcast oh.
1: What a joy. Well, what was a joy. Oh my gosh. It went by in just a flash. I
0: did. I, keep, I yeah. keep this one a little shorter than yeah. the other one.
1: Yeah, the other, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was getting ready emotionally for a two hour <laughs> recording session. And uh, here we, are. It here we like are. It's over so soon. Okay.
0: I had more things I want to ask you. Maybe, oh, maybe another time. Another time. Oh, yeah. If you would do you it. just call me this week. Oh, for a podcast. For a podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, I just like talking to you. Or we I'm just talking talk. Talking yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everyone.